Hi everyone, I'm your co-host Rach. And I'm your co-host Rebecca. And welcome to another episode of Ember Island Sayers. This week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 20, The Crossroads of Destiny. With Azula having seized control of the Dai Li, the gang rush to save Katara and possibly prevent a coup. Meanwhile, Zuko returns to struggling over which path he should take. Endless struggle. Oh my gosh. I had so little patience for Zuko in this episode. (laughs) I can't blame you for that. So annoyed with him. But (laughs) we will get there in due course. (laughs) Yeah. Before we do, do you have a poem for us this week for Sokka's Poetry Society, Rach? I do. I do. Is it about Zuko? (laughs) Absolutely not. Thank God. So I kind of took a little bit of inspiration from the chakras in the previous episode. And this is sort of a little vignette of Aang's memories sort of flashing before he dies. Spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) What? Aang dies? Yeah. So... That's, that's my poem this week, but I guess I'll just go for it. Red hot fear pulses through my veins. Orange flames guide me through the pain. Yellow light gleams at the tunnel's end. Green crystals shatter as I ascend. Blue lightning shocks and splits me in two. Indigo visions obscure my view. Purple engulfs me as I fall from my path. Black swallows me whole. I have met death's wrath. Oh, well, that's sad. It is a sad episode, actually. It's kind of the Empire Strikes Back of, if we think of, like, each one as, like, one in the trilogy. Do you know what I mean? Like, if if each book was one in the Star Wars trilogy, I feel like this is the Empire Strikes Back because it ends on, like, the sad note. Yeah. Yes, that was very... Good, though. I liked how you incorporated the different colours. I thought that was cool. Thanks. Well, it's the ending of book two. I know. So weird. (laughs) (laughs) And we're out with a uh, flash of lightning. That was like the end of the episode. So should we rewind? Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Let's go back to the beginning. This episode starts with something that I only just realised this episode I think happens quite a lot in Avatar. (laughs) (laughs) which is there's like a random shot of an animal doing something and then I saw in your notes that you had a good theory about what animal that was (laughs) yeah so it's an ostrich horse and it's like drinking from some kind of pool and I thought to myself was that Zuko and Iroh's abandoned ostrich horse (laughs) why not honestly it could be (laughs) yeah we don't know what happened to that after they Went to the Oasis. But yeah, I just noticed that. I feel like we've had a few other episodes as well that have started that way. I think it's just a good way to like set the scene a little bit and just like not go straight into the episode. Nice establishing shot. Yeah. Tells us where we are. Right. And where we are is uh, on the back of Appa. Picks up right where we left off in the last episode. Aang has swooped up. Sokka from Chameleon Bay, and they're on their way back to Ba Sing Se. They run into someone else who is also on her way to Ba Sing Se, presumably. Um, they're like, hey, look, it's Toph! And so they go and pick her up and scare her in the process. Poor Toph. She's like one track of mine, gotta get back to Ba Sing Se. And she just 
wipes out. Yeah, yeah. I love that they were like just trying to help her, but they just throw her off balance instead. <laughs> From there, we cut to Azula. We do a lot of cutting back and forth in this episode, so that's what we're going to do, I guess. And we go to Azula, who is hanging out with all of the Dai Li people. <laughs> hanging out? <laughs> that's one way of putting it. You know, she's just chilling. Casually preying upon their fears. <laughs> Yes, she's giving them a speech about how the coup that they have planned needs to be extremely quick and decisive for it all to work. She's really good at sussing out, I think, what everybody fears. And for the Dai Li, I feel like that's losing their security. And it did make me think a little bit about who these people are behind their sort of creepy exterior and they probably started out as just normal earth kingdom citizens and who knows if they've been brainwashed and what's going on with them so it's a little bit sad there's kind of puppets at the end of the day yeah although i think that um they do have some agency because one thing that i was actually going to pick up on was that you know um azula is clearly trying to rule by fear here right what we see is that that isn't necessarily as effective as she thinks it is. I mean, obviously she wins in the end, so it's pretty effective. But the one Dai Li agent that she specifically speaks to, who has like a scar on his face, when he gets caught by Aang, Sokka, and Toph, he gives the game up really, really quickly, which is exactly what she didn't want him to do. And so I just thought that was interesting that like, clearly being afraid of her wasn't enough for him to keep quiet as soon as he was caught he was just like yeah she's got a coup going you know yeah that's true so we do get to see also um some of the dynamics that we've seen before with uh tai lee and may and azula they kind of you know talk to her after she finishes giving her speech and i feel like at the heart of it they're still just kids trying to enjoy their time and their 14 year old friend is making plans to overthrow the government and they're just like okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i think we saw that ty lee was again like praising azula as she did in the last episode but maze was just more like actual enjoyment she just thought it was really funny that there was one guy who was almost going to pee his pants yeah, Azula certainly has the Dai Li pretty firmly under her thumb, which Longfang doesn't quite realize yet, as we will see a bit later on. Very smart of her to kind of keep him in that, in the dark about a lot of these things. Oh yeah, yeah. She clearly knew what she was doing with him. But she tells Tai Li and Mei that she has something else that she needs to take care of. And then we cut to Iroh and Zuko who are showing up at the palace uh, to serve tea, because they had been invited to do that. (laughs) With Zuko's new upbeat attitude. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't last too long in this episode. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's funny because Iroh mentions how, you know, he always thought that he'd be at the palace to, like, conquer it, and he ended up serving tea instead, which I just wrote, love that journey for him, if it wasn't a trap. We'll come back to them in a second because we then cut back to Aang, who is on the back of Appa with now with Toph and with Sokka. 
Yeah, so Toph starts asking him, you know, how did it go with the guru? And Aang does not want to admit what really happened. And this was, like, just one episode after I was like, you know, Aang hasn't really been lying very much. I don't really understand this whole thing about the truth chakra. (laughs) And then I was like, oh. He just did it just to prove you wrong. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I felt like that a little bit. (laughs) But, you know, I I get why he did it. If Toph was on solid ground, she would have been able to tell that he was lying. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I guess she wouldn't have been able to pick up in his heartbeat. Is that how that works, I guess? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, Yeah, good point. She wasn't able to tell. And she's also probably not super preoccupied with him right now. No offense, Aang. Right. I felt like, you know, Toph and Sokka don't really uncover Aang's layers the way that Katara does. Mm. If Katara was there, she would have definitely pressed him further on that, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've seen her do that before. Just be like, you know, are you okay? And even if he says he's okay, she's just like, are you sure? Right, she knows. Yeah, yeah. She can see through it. Yeah, so Sokka and Toph are not really that way um, with Aang. And so we then go back to Iroh and Zuko, and, you know, they're getting ready to serve tea to the Earth King. (laughs) Yeah. They can tell something is off right away, because there's nobody else in the room with them, and suddenly the Daily agents start filtering in, and they're like, okay, this isn't right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and then sure enough, Azula shows up. (laughs) When you think you're serving tea to the Earth King, but then your murderous sister shows up instead. Hashtag just Avatar things. (laughs) So many just Avatar things. I thought this was very interesting, something just brief that Azula said where she compared the Dai Li to firebenders Mm. and I thought that was a neat little snippet of how her mentality works and how she has to justify her using them she wouldn't want to work with somebody who was so beneath her (laughs) yeah I thought that was a really good observation on your part which I hadn't picked up on but it does make sense with you know this mentality that the fire nation has been pushing that they are better than everyone else so she feels like she can only justify using the daily by saying that like they have a bit of a firebender attitude to them very cool I mean not cool but you know (laughs) In terms of writing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And character, for sure. This is when Iroh asks her uh, if she has ever heard the story of how he became known as the Dragon of the West. And she's a bit annoyed because she's like, she doesn't want to hear another anecdote right now. Yeah, I feel like she's constantly underestimating Iroh. Mm. She just thinks he's like goofy uncle. She knows she can't manipulate him. He's like the one person she can't get to, so. Yeah, and you would think she would, you know, be a little bit smarter about him knowing that he used to be a general, but I guess she just assumes that when he decided that he wasn't going to, you know, do that kind of thing anymore, that she just was going to dismiss him. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's constantly calling him a traitor, He tells her that 
he doesn't really need to tell us a long story or anything. He's just <laughs> going to give her a demonstration. And he takes a sip of tea and then uh, breathes fire, which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really, really cool. <laughs> I like that the Dragon of the West is fueled by tea. Heck yes. <laughs> Very cool technique. And I like that Zuko knew exactly what he was going to do. He had like this little smirk on his face like, oh yeah, my <laughs> uncle's about to kick your guys' butts. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's great. <laughs> it's a nice demonstration of how powerful Iroh is because we don't often get to see that. Mm, absolutely. So he manages to take out quite a few Daily agents just, we know, with his fire breath. And he then runs kind of out of the room and then um, he breaks a window, I think, and jumps out of it. I think Azula shoots uh, the wall. Oh, okay. And then it breaks and then he jumps out and just lands on a bush. (laughs) Yes, yes. And then he's calling... For Zuko to come with him. And this is when Zuko's motivation just starts going completely all over the place to me. Because uh, he, you know, we saw at the beginning of this episode, he was like really content and whatever. In this moment, Iroh is like, come on, let's go. And he's like, no, I have to face Azula. And I'm like, (laughs) where did this come from? You know, I think this show does a lot of this kind of thing where it doesn't necessarily tell us but a lot of it is being triggered by trauma and I do think Zuko kind of snapped out of that state of like I'm a beautiful happy butterfly and everything's (laughs) great when he saw Azula again I think she's his trigger in a lot of ways Mm. just the way he was for Katara in the last episode Right, and is about to be again. You know, when you get into that trauma headspace, you really don't think rationally. I mean, that's what we saw with Jet as well. Mm. Yeah. I guess that kind of makes sense. But Zuko in this episode, we'll talk about it as we go through. But I was, as I said at the beginning, very frustrated with him. um, Because I feel like he kept going back and forth. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad writing. It's just frustrating as a watcher. Oh, absolutely. I think it's supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so we'll talk about that more as we go, I guess. Yeah, I think Iroh immediately, he he has a facepalm moment where he knows that Zuko facing Azula leaves room for her to manipulate him. And he's like, this is just a bad idea (laughs) yeah yeah he's like damn i really shouldn't have given him that dagger sometimes you should give up without a fight (laughs) sometimes it's okay it is especially when you're up against someone like azula you know it's yeah and you're still not in this good headspace where you know yourself and you aren't going to waver if she starts telling you lies Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, he turns to her because she's coming down the corridor um, and is like, I'm going to fight you. And uh, I did love that Azula calls him out for being dramatic. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, finally, someone's calling Zuko out. It's been, what is it, like uh, 40 episodes now. <laughs> right. Yeah, I wouldn't say Azula always lies. She's right sometimes. <laughs> 
true. It's true. We cut from there to a scene with uh, Toph and Aang and Sokka arriving to the Earth King's palace, and they are asking about Katara because Aang had this vision, right? And he saw that Katara was in danger. And the Earth King is like, Katara's fine. What are you talking about? <laughs> She's with the Kyoshi warriors. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, I thought it was funny that Sokka is like, oh, I bet she and Suki are talking about makeup. And I was like, you're the makeup expert, Sokka. I really doubt they would be talking about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like Suki and Sokka are more likely to talk about makeup. But yeah, the Earth King thinks that everything is okay. At this point, the coup hasn't actually started. So he's just under the impression that everything's fine. Yeah, he said Bosco will sense danger if there is danger. And I'm like, okay, dude. Bosco is the worst guard bear ever. <laughs> yeah, he's very sweet, but he's not a good, good guard bear. They actually decide that they're going to go back to their old house to check if Katara is there. Then we cut to where Katara actually is. <laughs> exactly, which is uh, these... Well, we find out later in the episode that there are these crystal catacombs under the city, and that's where she is. Yep, she's already having the worst day ever. And then, to make things worse, Zuko comes along, and the Dai Li agents throw him in there with her. Right, because presumably his attempted fight against Zula didn't go very well. She didn't even lift a finger. <laughs> no. That's so insulting. Like, I can imagine being so insulted. Like, you challenge your sister to an Agni Kai and she's like, nah, I'm, I don't feel like it. I'm sorry, sometimes I just love Azula. She's a horrible person, but... Well, it's part of her calling Zuko out for being dramatic, right? Because she's like, what are you going to do? Challenge me to an Agni Kai? Oh, she cracks me up. So Katara is now stuck with Zuko in the Crystal Catacombs. We'll come back to them in a second. <laughs> so we cut back to the other part of the gang, Sans Katara. And they're back at their apartment, like you said, checking for Katara and when they realize she's not there they're like there there really is something wrong going on here mm -hmm. I did like the little detail that um, part of the house still has scaffolding from when Toph <laughs> destroyed the wall I guess they didn't have enough time to fix that <laughs> no I didn't notice it until uh, I watched this episode twice which I did with the last season finale too um, just to kind of take it all in and then do my notes and I didn't notice it till the second watch, but uh, I did think that was a cool little detail. They are sort of trying to figure out what they're going to do next, and then they have a knock that they hear at the door. Mm-hmm, yeah. Toph says it's an old friend. <laughs> mm-hmm, yes, yes. And she knows who it is, and then when the door opens, Sokka and Aang also know who this person is. <laughs> but they have a very different concept of uh, who this person is. Yeah, so it's Iroh, and he's come to ask for their help. I think it is really a cool dynamic that they added Toph to the gang later, and so it was really at a time when Zuko and Iroh weren't their enemies anymore, so she has no implicit biases about them. She can just kind of read who they are as people. 
Yeah, yeah, I like that too. Sokka, especially, is very reluctant to trust Iroh. Iroh is talking about how his nephew has been taken, and then they also mention that, you know, Katara has been taken too. But I like that <laughs> there was a line that um, Sokka has, which is, you lost me at Zuko. <laughs> And I was just like, yeah, Sokka, me too, me too. <laughs> I do like how Sokka calls Iroh out for his soft spot for Zuko. I like that there's a part when I think Iroh is talking about how they're still good inside Zuko, and Sokka is kind of like, well, if it's not outside him, then what's the point? <laughs> yeah, his skepticism is back. His optimism only lasted about a week, so... But he's right, because, you know, if Zuko does have good inside him, which it seems like he does, if he doesn't show it, then it's not really worth anything in the end. I have to agree with Sokka in this instance. Yeah, they kind of just come to this conclusion of, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing. Yeah. (laughs) Because at this point, they think, you know, we're both on the same side fighting against Azula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we then cut to Long Feng, who we haven't seen in a little bit. He's still in his cell. Yeah, he has an agent kind of reporting to him about Azula and what she's been doing. And he talks about how she's inspiring or something like that. Terrifying and inspirational at the same there time. <laughs> yeah, I think at this point he should have realized that there was something else going on here and that the Daily were already partial to Azula. But I feel like he has such a big ego that he can't see past that. Yeah, yeah. He's not the smartest person. He really is a little finger. I mean, they're so similar. Oh, yeah. And we even find out a bit later on that he probably, if Azula is to be believed, came from a very poor background. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I think, always had this kind of chip on his shoulder about the fact that he wasn't that wealthy. And it seems like uh, Long Feng is very similar. Now we are going to go back to Zuko and Katara. Katara is yelling at Zuko. (laughs) Rightfully so. Yup, yup. She's basically listing off this whole account of his crimes And I thought it was interesting to note that more than half of them were against Aang. And she didn't really talk about herself at this point. Right. She doesn't talk about herself until a little bit later. Yeah, I think that says a lot about Katara and how how important Aang is to her and just how important other people are to her in general. Yeah, and I think there is something to be said about how Zuko's quest to capture Aang directly replicated Katara's trauma of losing her mother. I think there's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah. This whole part, particularly her line where she says, you have no idea what this war has put me through. I was tearing up during this scene and it was kind of unexpected. Um, And I think that it's just because I felt so much for her anger in this scene. Because she's so frustrated with everything that Zuko has done to her. And now she's in this situation where he's there and she can't escape him. She's literally locked in, you know, 
a catacomb with him. And I just, oh, I really felt that when I watched it. Just, like, her anger and her frustration and, like, it was really palpable, I think, in that scene. Yeah, I totally agree. But uh, it does end with her saying that she tells Zuko that her mother was taken by the Fire Nation. And then he kind of makes a connection with her in that he says, you know, I lost my mother to the Fire Nation too. Right, right. I do want to note that it's not until Zuko says, you know, you don't know what you're talking about that she opens up about her mother. Like he kind of directly accuses her of something. And I also think once again, he doesn't know how to empathize unless someone else's situation is hyper-specific to his own. He doesn't really acknowledge Katara's pain or even her her anger until she says, you know, I lost my mother. And then he's like, oh, that's something we have in common. Yeah, it is interesting that he only seems to be self-serving in that way, that he can only really recognize the damage that he's done or that the Fire Nation has done when it's damage that also has been done to him. Mm, absolutely. And so you might even say that Zuko is a bit of an angry jerk in this situation. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> None taken. We do go back to Sokka and Iroh and Toph and Aang. That is the line exchange that Sokka <laughs> and Iroh have, which I thought was funny. At least, you know, even though Iroh does have a soft spot for Zuko, he acknowledges that he's kind of a jerk sometimes. Yeah, so Sokka suggests that they split up because somebody needs to inform the Earth King on what's really going on in his city. At this point, they've talked to the Daily agent that Iroh brought with him and they know about the coup that's going on as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Sokka makes a little plan. It's just a little plan, but I still love it when Sokka <laughs> gets to plan things. <laughs> and I think it's smart of him to send Aang and Iroh off together and then for him to go with Toph, even though it doesn't work out. <laughs> In this kind of splitting up of the two teams, with the first pair that we go with is Aang and Iroh, right? Yes. Toph uncovers the crystal catacombs and they start heading down under the earth. They are going down, and there's this like green, eerie glow, which we've seen before, because we've seen Katara and Zuko in the Crystal Catacombs. It's interesting that they never brought up the Crystal Catacombs before this episode. There's just like secret tunnels, secret cities, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it did make me think, actually, I think I forgot to write this in my notes, but it did make me think, um, I wonder if that's why Ba Sing Se is so wealthy. Mm, that's a really good point. They're sitting on a gold mine. Yeah, just that occurred to me. And uh, we get a really, really nice scene between Aang and Iroh. I think this was one of my favorite scenes of the episode. Yeah, me too. I love that Aang immediately trusts Iroh because Toph told him that he could. Yes. And I think it's really great how he values his friend's opinions so much. Yeah, I totally agree. I also wonder if Aang remembers that during the Siege of the North, Iroh was actually, like, sensible. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been some points where Iroh has shown them a little more grace than Zuko has. And one of them was in the chase when 
Azula hit him with the the fire and right. So I think there have been little moments where Aang has noticed because he is good at picking up on that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. It's the situation where Aang kind of didn't want to open up to some of his friends, but sometimes it's a bit easier to open up to somebody who you don't really know that well. <laughs> yeah, it's like a therapist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it's kind of like Iroh was a therapist for Aang in this moment. <laughs> it's like an impartial third party so and he tells him about what happened with the guru and how he didn't actually manage to master the avatar state properly Mm -hmm. and he talked a lot about how it was him not being able to let go of somebody he loved that's when we get this really lovely quote from Iroh which is um, perfection and power overrated I think you're very wise to choose happiness and love. Yeah, so sweet. I love that line so much. (laughs) Me too. It's great. Yeah, and it's very much speaks to, I think, Aang's philosophy and also Iroh's philosophy. And Aang, you know, he is an airbender. Air is associated with the heart chakra. So I think that that's very much like it's Aang, you know, it's very much Aang. He's a heart person. It is fitting for him to choose happiness and love. Yeah, I, I think that's a great observation. I think it sort of ties into this note that I had about how there's a crucial part of all of this that Aang is missing, where he's still trying to cut off parts of himself in order to access the Avatar state. And really the point of opening the chakras and going into the avatar state is so that he can become a whole fully realized being that reconciles every aspect of his true self. And he's missing the bigger picture here where he's not allowing himself to use his heart and use this huge part of him that really loves and he's losing out on the whole balance aspect but at the same time it's like hard to put the blame on him when he's doing this in such a limited amount of time and he's age 12 (laughs) which is something I feel like I always have to keep in mind the avatars didn't even begin to learn other elements until they were age 16 before this so it's a lot (laughs) yeah I think that's important to keep in mind for sure And I really like that analysis of it as well. Iroh has another really nice line in this part of the episode as well. (laughs) He talks about how life is sometimes like the dark tunnel that they're in. And he says that you can't always see the light at the end of the tunnel, but if you keep moving, you'll come to a better place. Yeah, that reminded me of also the quote in The Cave of Two Lovers. Love is brightest in the dark. Aww. That does fit pretty well. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's very true of life, you know, in general. I feel like we're often going through life and we sort of think that we're stuck sometimes or we feel like we're stuck. And, you know, if you are able to just keep moving, then eventually things will get better. Like I said, I really need my Iroh quote board. (laughs) Yeah, more wisdom from (laughs) Iroh. Yes, yes. Meanwhile, while this heart-to-heart is going on, uh, there's a coup. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. The Council of Five is being overtaken by the Dai Li. And we never really get to find out if these people were useful or not because they never got to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. The only one we really knew for a little bit was General Howe. But yeah, basically Sokka and Toph are too late because the coup is already happening once they get there. Yeah, so they are running towards the Earth King and they're freaking out. (laughs) Yep, yep, as you might be. And the Earth King is cool because he's with the Kyoshi Warriors who, as far as he knows, are very trustworthy. (laughs) And Tai Lee, immediately upon seeing Sokka... Like, does a flip over to him and starts flirting with him. <laughs> that part was so funny, but I also love that Sokka was like, um, I'm kind of involved with Suki. I told you he would make up for it. <laughs> you did, you did, you were right. He did eventually make up for it. Uh, I thought that was really sweet. Again, I, you know, I look for the little crumbs because there's not a lot of uh, Suki and Sokka in this show. And also, I... I think he loses points because Toph actually realized before he did that they weren't the real Kyoshi Warriors. Well, she can sense when people are lying, so, you know. She also was saved by Suki, and I feel like that left an impact on her. Oh, <laughs> Well, yeah, and Tai Lee, when Sokka mentioned Suki, she was like, who? <laughs> like, that was a dead giveaway. Not a very good job of being discreet there, Tylee. No, no. She didn't uh, do a great job there. She didn't do her research. (laughs) No, she's not the best spy, bless her. Yeah, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot they can do because Azula is there, and so she threatens the Earth King. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they immediately surrender. And then Tylee chi blocks them anyway. (laughs) She's not taking any chances, I guess. (laughs) I guess not. I guess not. And then poor little Momo gets taken out by a giant earthbending glove, which I thought was funny and also (laughs) terrible. And then Long Feng shows up thinking that he is being really smart. He's like, I'm going to double cross you. (laughs) I like how he announces it too. He's like, now is when I double cross you. Okay. Sure, dude. Sure, Jan. He attempts to double-cross her, and then he realizes that the Dai Li is not completely on his side, and Azula points out that they're waiting to see who's going to come out on top in all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is when she kind of points out his background, and I do think she's right, just judging by the look on his face and mm. judging what he says next, which is he kind of, like, s- surrenders over to her well i thought it was cool that you brought up the divine right to rule a few episodes ago and azula brought that up as well yeah i noticed that too it is cool that they kind of drew upon that i actually don't know how prevalent that was in asian civilizations Mm. so i'd be curious to know i only know it from european monarchies but uh, i do think that's an interesting concept that they brought up and she certainly seems to think that that's true yeah yeah again with the whole fire nation nationalism so Mm -hmm. yeah and then azula delivers a truly killer line don't flatter yourself you are never even a player (laughs) oof it's the most brutal takedown ever (laughs) it really is it really is and now Long Fang is actually long gone. <laughs> but I'm um, 
never to return on the show. Well, I can't say I'm gonna miss him. He got played there real good. I'd say. I get. I think it is a little bit interesting that they don't bring him back because, as we've seen on this show, they pretty much bring everybody back. And they do end up going to Ba Sing Se again in the future. So they could have just, like, stuck him in, little cameo, but I don't know. I'm not a big fan of him, so I don't really care. Well, I guess it just kind of goes with what Azula said, you know, he was never really that important. Mm, yeah, she obliterated him. <laughs> Any relevance he had is totally gone. <laughs> yep. So, shall we go to someone else who is not really a player? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, we go back to Zuko and Katara. And uh, this is a very interesting scene. Basically, Katara seems to feel a little bit differently about Zuko once she learns about his mother. Yeah, and she's even apologizing to him for yelling at him. And I'm just like, well... That's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought this was a little weird. I don't know if it's, like, just Katara being a very, very good person. <laughs> or if it's maybe the writing could have been a little better. But I did think it was a little quick to go from her being really upset over everything he'd done to her to her being like, let me heal your scar with my spirit water. <laughs> I think it is just her good heart, like... She's thinking about all the pain she went through over the years and how that affected her. And so reaching out to somebody else who she thinks has gone through the same thing is almost in a way like healing to her because when she helps other people, I think that helps heal parts of her that are, are hurting. Yeah, that could definitely be it. It just seemed a little abrupt to me. There's also a part just before that, actually, where Zuko says that he's learned that he's free to determine his own destiny, which I think is just him talking out of his butt. <laughs> well, and again, he's making everything about himself. Like, as soon as he hears about Katara's trauma and she's willing to change her mind about him, he doesn't even acknowledge her pain. He just kind of, like, starts monologuing about all of the bad things that happened to him. I totally agree. Actually, I think that's what I was going to say before, is that he makes everything about himself. I think that's the train of thought that I was going down. She offers to heal his scar with her spirit water. She's just about to do it. And one thing I will say really quickly, you can cut this out if you want to, Rach. <laughs> <laughs> this moment did at least help me realize where the ship of Zuko and Katara came from. Because before I was generally just quite baffled because I was like I just don't like these two have never had a single interaction that would make me think that people could ship them together but this interaction I feel like could potentially have been a shippable moment obviously it all goes completely disastrously wrong after this so I feel like it doesn't really hold up but I was at least like okay I think I know where this whole thing started <laughs> yeah I have a lot to say I don't know if I really want to get into it but <laughs> I just don't like the idea of, like, the foundation of something be on such unequal footing, again, where he's not acknowledging her trauma at all. And I feel like a lot of people talk about this scene 
as if these two are the only two people in the world who could possibly understand each other. (laughs) And it's like he's not even trying to be understanding of her because if he was, then he wouldn't do what he does in the very next scene. So Yeah, I I don't think it's a good foundation. (laughs) I just, at least I understood where it came from. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just frustrating to me, too, because I feel like a lot of that invalidates Aang's trauma mm-hmm. and his connection with Katara. And, like, just because he didn't specifically lose his mother figure doesn't mean he can't empathize with her on losing a parental figure and losing your culture and really being the last waterbender and the last airbender right right absolutely sorry no that's okay that's okay sometimes you just need to get it out if you want to keep it in the podcast you can if you want to take it out you can yeah this moment between Zuko and Katara is interrupted because uh, Iroh and Aang have appeared they found her Katara is very excited to see Aang again This little reuniting is so cute. (laughs) She's so happy. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, I knew you'd come, which is just, I love that. Yeah. Doesn't Suki say that to Sokka in Boy (gasps) Rock? I love it. That's so cute. Rebecca's been spoiled on all of the Suka moments. (laughs) I spoiled myself. Uh, True. (laughs) Because, you know, I feel like I've been very patient in other ways. You got to give me something. (laughs) That's a really cute parallel, though. I like that. Yeah, it's really, really sweet um, that they end up reunited. And there's some, like, looks between Aang and Zuko, (laughs) which I thought was funny. I mean, I think it's generally because, like, they have good reason to not like each other. (laughs) But I would just wonder if, like, other people have interpreted that as, like, Zuko is jealous or something. (laughs) They have, and it annoys me. (laughs) Like, no, that's... I don't think it's jealousy. Maybe he's jealous that Iroh was hanging out with Aang and he didn't get to hang out with Aang. That sounds more believable, honestly. (laughs) Because he goes, Uncle, what are you doing with the Avatar? (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) Only I get to hang out with the Avatar. (laughs) He's mine now. (sighs) Yeah, and then Aang has this great little snarky line where he's like, saving you, that's what. (laughs) I was like, you little sass mouth, I love you so much. So great, so great. And, you know, Aang is just like, well, let's go. And uh, leaves Iroh and uh, Zuko together. I did like that Aang does a little bow before he leaves Iroh, which I thought was super cute. Oh, that was, yeah, just respectful. Like, thank you for helping me get to Katara. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and for the advice too, I guess. So Yes. I thought that was really nice. And then Iroh and Zuko are left together and Zuko is kind of sulking, and (laughs) (laughs) Iroh is trying to tell him, like, oh, you know, it's time for you to make a choice, and it's time for you to choose good, is what Iroh says. And I'm like, yeah, about that. (laughs) Yeah, so then Azula shows up. (laughs) Fun. Like you said, it's just endlessly frustrating, because I feel like she knows exactly what buttons to push in order to get into his head. Absolutely. And it's 
thought that this scene actually was kind of like um, the dream that Zuko had. Mm, yeah. Because he has both Azula and Iroh kind of pulling him in different directions in this scene, which is like the two dragons in the dream. Azula is extremely manipulative in this scene because she basically offers Zuko everything that he's been wanting this whole time. Yeah, and she even appeals to, I think, this newfound aspect of him that he seemingly values, which is freedom. Mm. And she manipulates him into thinking she values his ability to make his own decisions because at the end she leaves it up to him. She's like, you're free to choose, you know? And that's just another tactic of hers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she's terrible but great (laughs) at the same time. Yeah, it was interesting watching this twice Because the first time I watched, I was just sitting there extremely baffled by everything Zuko does in this episode. I was just like, Zuko, I don't understand you at all. (laughs) And then when I watched again, I was like, I think I understand this a little bit better. I see that, like, she's manipulating him. And he did have a choice in this moment. And his choice was to go backwards. Which is realistic because, you know, as we've talked about before, people's progress and their, you know, journeys in life are not linear. Like, sometimes you go back. And so I get that. But on the other hand, if you are somebody who's like been looking to see some character growth in Zuko, it's extremely frustrating (laughs) to see him go back. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. I think that, yeah, I'm just annoyed. But I think I do understand it a little bit better now. (laughs) This all leads into a bit of a fight scene. Yeah, Q, one of the most exciting battles on the show, in my opinion. (laughs) and one of my personal favorites I think I've talked about this a little bit before but there are certain episodes that I viscerally remember watching when they aired at the time and this is one of them and I had like this little tv that I watched it on in my parents room (laughs) I just remember like staring at the screen and watching this battle play out and This was, like, very heart-pounding for me the first time around that I watched this. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it kind of was for me, too. I was very stressed out when I was watching this episode (laughs) for the first time. It's extremely stressful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, God. Yeah, and it all takes place as well, like, in this very enclosed space, which I think adds to the stress. Right, of it and there's like green light everywhere which is kind of unsettling so they really went all out I think in like choosing this location. At first what we see is that Zuko isn't really involved in this battle Um, it's Azula up against Aang and Katara really. I think they are doing a pretty good job together just sort of keeping her at bay Yeah, but then Zuko decides to join it and I always have to like pause and scream (laughs) (laughs) because I know it happens and it makes me so angry yeah well Aang is the first person to realize what Zuko is about to do Mm. because you see it like cuts to Aang's face and he's like oh no yeah there's a direct parallel with this and some of the characters and in an upcoming episode so Oh, interesting, interesting. I will say one of them is Roku, so you can look out for that. (laughs) Okay, all right. Wasn't really expecting to get much more from Roku, so that's cool. (laughs) 
But yeah, basically Zuko joins the battle on Azula's side. Yeah. <sighs> Sigh. <laughs> yeah, I did see a really interesting take here. One time that Azula also appeals to Zuko's code of honor because she makes it a quote unquote fair fight at first with two versus two mm. and I wonder if he would have been less likely to join in if she had revealed the Dai Li as part of like her little army immediately yeah maybe I feel like he wouldn't have been as um invested in the fight if she already had the Dai Li in there yeah because it's also like him going back to his family and like you know being on her side and like you know, that sense of belonging, I can imagine he must get from that, so. He's fighting with this unbelievable amount of rage or conviction, and I don't know that we've seen that from him before, and I felt like maybe it had to do with fighting on Azula's side and feeling like he needed to prove himself to her. Yeah, I could see that for sure. We do get a quick cut away from the fight. <laughs> to Sokka and uh, Toph and the Earth King, <laughs> who are all locked up in a cell. Yeah, but luckily Toph knows metal bending now, so... So that was easy. <laughs> Not a problem. Toph just basically checks to see if there are any Dai Li around. There aren't, so she just opens the door. And then the Earth King, I thought this was kind of sweet, he doesn't want to leave without Bosco. <laughs> <laughs> and it did occur to me that, like, if he was raised all by himself, which we think he probably was, like, based on the king that he was based on, he probably didn't have that many friends. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, like, Bosco was, like, his only friend, which is kind of <laughs> sad. <laughs> so it kind of makes sense. I think it's sweet that he wants to go back for Bosco. He does have some redeeming qualities. <laughs> he does, he does. He's not... Completely unlikable, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we cut from that back to the fight, and we get to see, you know, lots more, uh, I think, details of the fight. There are some cool things that I noticed when I was watching. This is earlier on, but there's a bit when uh, Azula turns uh, away from Katara into steam, which I thought was pretty cool. Ooh, yeah. And then I also thought it was interesting that um, Zuko uses a fire whip, which is kind of like the animal handler guy in Appa's Last Days, but he has two. So that was a, a cool little callback. There's also something that I thought was neat. Um, Katara chops off a piece of Azula's hair <laughs> with her water. And I wondered if that was a reference maybe to the first episode of the season. There's that scene where they talk about like one hair being out of place. Yeah, I think it is. I feel like this whole episode is a mirror of the first episode of book two. So I think that was definitely a callback to that scene. Yes, I think we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I think that's an interesting point. Yeah, there was one part that I really liked, which is where Aang had this move where he like bodied Zuko with his air bending. <laughs> I thought that was so cool and we never get to see him do that again it's like that was such a fun technique i wish we got to see that more yeah i also thought ang had a cool moment where he covered himself in crystals and actually katara also covers herself in water during this scene so it was like you know a lot of people covering themselves in elements <laughs> like makeshift armor almost 
yeah, there are just lots of cool little details, I think, in this whole fight. Yeah, and there are several points where you kind of think, like, the good guys are going to best the bad guys, and Katara almost has Azula and totally could have taken her down if it wasn't for Zuko interfering. Yeah, yeah. It's true. She does a really good job in this scene. Quick break, though, from the fight. <laughs> Toph earthbends Ty Lee into a weird pose, which is like a little bit of revenge, I guess. Because Ty Lee is trying to teach Bosco how to walk on his hands, I think. We talked about this a little bit. She's missing her circus animals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And then May is completely iconic in this scene. <laughs> Just take the bear. <laughs> She's probably tired of cleaning up bear poop, honestly. True. And again, I feel like she just has no stake in this war when Azula isn't around. It just goes to show, like, May doesn't really care about any of this stuff. She just wants to live her life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's very fitting with her personality, too. So they escape with the bear. (laughs) Let's go back to the, the final battle, because we get the, right. the few beats of that now. We have the Fire Nation siblings, you know, going up against... Well, what they actually do is they both go up against Katara at one point, which I mm-hmm. feel like is the only way they seem to be able to, like, defeat her. Right, yeah. And she kind of gets knocked out for a little bit, and then Aang comes back, and he's about to mess them up (laughs) yeah (laughs) for real (laughs) but then the Dai Li show up right right many 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 Dai Li agents (laughs) yes too many it's at this point that Aang is like you know we can't take them and he's worried about Katara who has kind of gotten into this octopus stance like she's going to try and take down as many as she possibly can, but they're just completely outnumbered. Mm. And so he decides at this point he's going to open his final chakra so that he can go into the avatar state. Yeah, yeah. He says, you know, to do this, he has to let her go. And uh, I made a silly joke in my notes that uh, that song, you only know you love her when you let her go. (laughs) That could have been my Amber Island playlist choice. He knew he loved her, he loved her before that, though. <laughs> that's true, that's true. On a more serious note, he does, he makes like a little cocoon for himself, and he goes into the Avatar state. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen him enter it at will, I think. Yeah, I think so. So that's pretty cool for a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Katara's little smile just breaks my heart. Like, she's so proud of him at this moment. Aww. Before he can really do anything, something happens. Azula shoots him with her lightning. And I didn't realize until you pointed it out that um, it goes through his body and out of his foot. And that's why you see, like, a, a mark on his foot. Mm. And you just see him falling, right? That scene, I think, is so well animated because it zooms in on Azula's eye and we see him being electrocuted in her eye. 
I just like the animation of that was really interesting and scary and <laughs> evoked a lot of emotions. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it was really well done. And then you get Katara's reaction, which I think is just the most heartbreaking part of the whole thing. Yeah. Because she has just like tears coming down her face and then she makes this massive wave to ride over to him with like complete determination. Yeah, it reminded me again of the Cave of Two Lovers and the story of Oma and Shu and how he died and the the quote is devastated the woman unleashed a terrible display of her power she could have destroyed them all Ooh. and that was katara in that moment wow i didn't think about that yeah <laughs> well that's devastating uh and <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> and then we have more devastation we have this scene of katara picking ang up in her arms and I thought it was interesting that um, I noticed this immediately. And then when I went on Avatar Wiki, someone else had written this up. So I was like, okay, it's not just me. The way she's holding him and the way he's lying, actually, more than anything else, looks like there's a famous Michelangelo statue called La Pieta. And it is uh, the Virgin Mary holding the body of Jesus. And uh, it just reminded me of that, as I say, more the Ang part, really, because the, the way... Katara is is not as much like the way Mary is sitting. I thought that was probably a connection to this theme of like death and resurrection uh, because that's kind of what happens in this episode. I like your interpretation. <laughs> it's so funny you say this because a lot of anti-Katang people use this as an argument of like the whole mother and son dynamic. I was worried about that when I saw the resemblance. I was like, oh, I wonder if people use this online. Well, of course they do. <laughs> yeah, of course they do. Of course they do. I'm sorry. I just wanted to bring it up because oh, I... no, no. It's okay. I think the whole interpretation of that La Pieta is it's supposed to be the savior of the world and the first follower of them. Mm. And I feel like that really fits Aang and Katara's dynamic. And there are other interpretations of it where it's actually the Apostle John who is holding Jesus or Mary Magdalene who is holding Jesus. Mm. So it, I think it can be interpreted in a couple of different ways. But that's sort of what I read from it is like the savior being held by the first follower of that savior. Yeah, I like that. That's really good. And I think that, you know, it's a little bit divorced from the mother-son aspect just by the fact that Mary is young in it and mm. Jesus is an adult, which doesn't really make sense. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. It is. It's just like symbolism, basically. So. Exactly. Exactly. I've seen that statue in real life. So it's in the Vatican. And I have seen it and it blew me away because um, I'm not, you know, a religious person, as I've said before, but I, I visited the Vatican because I was interested in like the historical side of it. And I just, I couldn't stop staring at that statue because I thought it was so mesmerizing and beautiful. Yeah, it, I think it just evokes a lot of emotion. There's so much going on in her face. And I feel like that's the same way with Katara. She's 
so heartbroken. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have this this heartbreaking moment. At that point, it's interesting how there's like almost no dialogue, mm. really. Um, there's like little bits here and there. But uh, we have Iroh coming in at that moment to say like, I'll hold them off while you guys get away. He has to make the really tough decision, I feel like, because this whole time he's been on Zuko's side and he has to actively go against Zuko now for the the betterment of the world, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he gets, you know, imprisoned in crystals because of it. And then, you know, we kind of leave them for now. And uh, we go to this next scene, which this scene has no dialogue at all, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And this is when they are on the back of Appa. Everyone is just devastated looking at Aang, who is passed out, as far as we can tell. I have a question about this, but I'll get to it in yes. a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> okay, good. And Katara uh, gets her spirit water, which she thankfully didn't use to heal Zuko's scar. Thank God. Oh my God, can you imagine? She would have never forgiven herself. And she would have killed him. For sure. Like, straight up murdered Zuko. Yep, yep. That's a thing that would have happened. But she uses the spirit water to heal Aang. I love this because, first of all, it's a direct parallel to the first ever episode of the show and the framing is exactly the same and how Katara's sort of holding Aang in her arms and it's like she resurrected him twice at this point. Aww. The second part why I love this <laughs> is it harkens back to Iroh's quote of you're wise to choose happiness and love and Katara's love never fails Aang where the Avatar state does. Aww. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is all so sweet. I love it. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I think it's a lovely scene. And the fact that it has no dialogue and that you're just focused on like the emotions of the characters. At first, she's not even sure if it worked, right? Because, you know, it's a pretty bad injury. And then when Aang kind of sort of opens his eyes, you get to see like her face light up. A little bit of relief, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Well, this brings me to my question, because I want to know, did he actually die while in the Avatar state? Because didn't Roku say that if he died while he was in the Avatar state, that it would, like, break the cycle or whatever? Yeah, it would be done. There would no longer be another Avatar. Right. I think, yes, he did die. I think you could interpret it that he was, like, drifting between... Mm. Uh, life and death like in the spirit world but I think yeah he died and Katara brought him back as he said there's a little bit of relief and then we do briefly cut back to Zuko and Azula yeah she's continuing to manipulate him kind of talking about how like he redeemed himself today because he's still I think extremely worried about what's going to happen next when he goes back home and actually has to face his father again. Right, right. And he brings up his famous honor. Because he's like, what about my honor? And I'm like, oh my god. I thought we were past that, man. 
apparently not. Apparently not. And she tells him that, you know, he doesn't need his father to restore his honor because he's restored his own honor or something. I don't know. But, you know, it's also interesting that he still seems like he's conflicted too. And I guess part of that is probably, as you say, you know, he's worried about whether Ozai is actually going to accept him. But I don't know if we're supposed to also interpret that as like he feels bad about what he did. I don't think so. (laughs) Is that mean to say? I don't know. No. But my whole big thing is like he listened to Katara's story and what she told him and how the Fire Nation affected her and how she lost her mother. And then in the very next scene, he decided to replicate her trauma by aiding and killing her best friend. I don't feel like he took anything in. Yeah, that's how I felt too. I was just being kind of hopeful, I guess. You're trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but... Yeah, I don't know why. You were playing the part of Iroh. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> or maybe Katara. Or, yeah, even Katara. Like, she even gave him the benefit of the doubt, so... Yeah, yeah. But, um, okay, well, that's that then. We end the episode with um, everyone on ARPA... And Aang is still a little out of it, it seems like, but, you know, he's alive. And uh, the Earth King says that the Earth Kingdom has fallen. Yep. You can only wonder how Aang is going to feel about this when he wakes up. Because oh, boy. Kind of a massive failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they came pretty close to succeeding. And yeah, this is why I said it was the Empire Strikes Back of the, <laughs> of the trilogy, because it's that kind of ending where you're just like, oh, everything sucks. But there is a little bit of hope, right? That's the other thing. So, are we done? Should we go to the MVP? I guess maybe talk a little bit about how this episode directly mirrors the first one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I don't want to go too into it because... I kind of made up my mind that I'm going to make a video about it. I made a video kind of tribute to the finale of book one. So I wanted to do the same thing with this book. And I want to show the parallels. And also, Katie, who has been a guest on this podcast, is writing a meta about it. So be sure to link that when we get the link to it (laughs) probably talk about it a lot in in discord as well but I guess one thing I did want to note that I thought was really cool is that the bookends of book two are Katara receiving the spirit water very first thing in the first episode and then using the spirit water in the very last scene of this episode so yeah Yeah, I don't really see the mirrors, but it's also been a while since I've seen the first episode of book two. So Mm -hmm. I'll be looking forward then to your video and to Katie's meta. All right. (laughs) All right, so then let's pick the MVP of this very sad episode. Okay. I was thinking Katara. Okay, I was thinking Ira. Oh, well, Katara, I was thinking because, like, she literally saves the life of the Avatar, so... Yeah, but she wouldn't have been able to do that if Iroh hadn't created a diversion and sacrificed himself. True, true. I feel like maybe both of them? Both? 
Both is good. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm down with that. Iroh and Katara. It's funny because we made Iroh the MVP of the first episode of book two. Did we? <laughs> yes. So we're just uh, continuing the mirror theme, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 we are. But you're right. Uh, Iroh did have a really big part to play in this. Um, and Katara did too. I also want to shout out Bosco. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, I would like to give the uh, LVP of the episode to Zuko. Boo! <laughs> Boo! Hiss! I just remember, like, when I was a teenager, I really just hated him. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'm not his biggest fan either, as you guys know, listening to this podcast. I don't hate him. Maybe I hate him a little bit in this episode. <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to, like, put myself in the shoes of not knowing what comes next. And if you don't know what comes next, I think it's fair that you would hate him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I know that he has a redemption arc, but I don't know what it is. So I'm kind of in that position where I'm just like, wow, you suck. (laughs) So yeah, I'm down for that. MVP, Iron Katara, LVP, Zuko. (laughs) Alright, so we have got that out of the way. Do we want to do our playlist then? Our last, actually, entries into the playlist for book two, because we're going to start up a new playlist next episode. Would you like to go first? Sure. It's going to be pain. But... Yeah, mine is painful too, so... I picked My Blood by Ellie Golding, and... I really sort of drew inspiration from both Ang and Katara in this episode, and the song was stuck in my head for some reason. I listened to the lyrics, and I was like, wow, this actually fits. (laughs) So it was a sign, and I decided to pick it, and some of the lyrics that I thought fit well were the second verse, Alarms will ring for eternity. The waves will break every chain on me. My bones will bleach. My flesh will flee. So help my lifeless frame to breathe. And that really made me think of Aang when he's dying and he needs Katara's help to sort of bring him back to life so that he doesn't fade away. And the chorus, I think, fit with them as well mostly from Katara's perspective, but it goes, and God knows I'm not dying, but I bleed now, and God knows it's the only way to heal now. With all the blood I lost with you, it drowns the love I thought I knew. I will say this song is a very beautiful song. I was telling Rach before uh, we started recording the podcast, this is probably my favorite Ellie Goldie song ever, and it's very beautiful in the way it's sung. it is. Yeah, it is very beautifully composed and I think it just fits their relationship really well and how they've been through so much together and they need to find love again to heal yeah yeah it's also on my Katang playlist (laughs) very nice very nice (laughs) all right maybe I'll add yours after you tell me your selection this week (laughs) have you heard this song before I have not Okay, I apologize in advance because it might cause you some pain. (laughs) My song is You Won't Feel a Thing uh, by The Script. And this is also a song that I feel like applies to Aang and Katara. And I actually had a really hard time picking a song for this episode. 
and I was literally just listening to my songs on shuffle and seeing like if any of the songs <laughs> made me think about them. This one just I was like, oh no. It's basically about somebody who is very much willing to protect someone else um, at all costs and they don't want the other person to suffer. So I feel like it applies a lot to Aang towards Katara, right? Because he tries to go into the Avatar state to protect her. And then Katara, you know, towards Aang, she wants to protect him. She wants to bring him back. I'll just take some of the lyrics that I feel like apply the most, but I feel like it's the whole song. But uh, there's a bit when it says, I've been stabbed in the back while they promised the earth, trying to keep my head up for all I'm worth. Outside I'm double glazing, I know a war is raging, I promise baby you won't ever, you won't ever feel a thing. Cause I will take it on the chin for you, so lay your cuts and bruises over my skin. I promise you won't feel a thing, cause everything the world could throw, I'll stand in front, I'll take the blow for you. <laughs> I'm sorry! <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I knew it was going to be painful. <laughs> oh. Um, so, yeah, you can add that to your playlist if you want to. <laughs> All right. You know, that whole playlist just makes me cry. So, <laughs> um, It's a really good song, and it's a really pretty song. We're all sufficiently cheery. <laughs> Should we just talk a little bit then about what we have planned for next episode? We have our drabbles. We're going to rate the episodes. We also um, are planning on going to that Tumblr that you found that has some background information about some of the characters in season two. Yeah, like the Sandbenders. Yeah, yeah, we found out some interesting stuff about them. So we were planning on discussing that. And then also, if anybody decides to send in anything to us, hopefully by the time you listen to this, you have already sent it. But uh, yeah, we have some fun stuff planned for our closing book too. It will be less sad, I think, than this episode. <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> I mean, this is actually quite a sad season overall. Would you say the same? Yeah, yeah. That's why I called it The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Because I feel like it's the middle... Because the thing is about comparing it again to Empire Strikes Back is that, like, if you've got a trilogy, which this kind of is, right, because you have three mm -hmm. seasons, I feel like the middle of it has to be the sad part because the beginning is like, you know, you're getting the story going and that kind of stuff. And then you have to have the sad part in the middle so that you can come out the other end and like things start to improve. Yeah. It's good storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Empire Strikes Back is like everyone's favorite of the Star Wars <laughs> film. So. <laughs> All right. So until next time, if you want to send us something via Twitter our Twitter is at Ember Sayers. We tweet out the MVP of each episode and some fun memes. And we love to interact with you on there. And if you want to send us something longer, um, you can email us at emberislandsayers at gmail.com. You can send us your thoughts, questions, things you want us to bring up on the podcast. And we will gladly read them out unless you don't want us to. We are on multiple platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This helps get out information and helps people find us as well. So <laughs> until 
our closing of book two, I'd like to tell everybody to stay alive. <laughs> stay alive, everybody. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe she had to claw and connive her way to the top. She's like, you lost your scar too bad. Now you're going to lose your life. <laughs> Zuka was not a beautiful butterfly anymore. <laughs>